Let's prepare to hear God's word by going to him in prayer. Father, thank you for inviting us and drawing us to worship you this morning. Father, we ask now that you help us to truly hear your word. If there is anything within us that gets in the way, we pray that you break down those barriers. Lord, if there is anything that we have trouble understanding this morning, we pray that you open our minds. Lord, we pray that you feed us through your word, and we pray today, too, that you feed us through your supper. Draw us more and more into your presence. Shape us more and more into your image. Amen. So we're working through the first five chapters of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, as we move toward Easter. And this book, as with the whole Bible, is really all about Jesus. What it wants to do again and again is to, to, open, up, to open up and to reveal Jesus to us. This morning, we're going to be reading one of the seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3. It's the letter to Thyatira. Through this letter, let's hear Jesus speaking to us, challenging us, and encouraging us. We'll read Romans 2, 18 to 29. The words will be on the screen. You're welcome also to grab a Bible from the pew. We'll be going back to the verses bit by bit through the sermon, so it may advantage you to have that in front of you. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to open with a couple questions for you. You're free to shout out an answer if you like or, or just think about it. So I have two pennies here. One is from 1981. It's rather old, a bit faded, kind of grungy. And one is from 2020, quite shiny, pretty new. The old one has the older design with Lincoln on one side, Memorial on the other. The new one has a Lincoln on one side and then the shield on the other with E Pluribus Unum. And here is my question for you. I've got a couple questions. How much is each of these worth? Ascent? Is one of them worth more than the other? A few of you are saying yes. Many of you are saying no. 
The answer is yes. This old penny is worth probably 10 times more than this new penny. You see, in 1982, before that, but in 1982, the mint made a significant change because they realized people were taking pennies and melting them down and selling the copper because the penny's material was worth more than its face value. Pennies used to be 95% copper, 5% zinc. So they changed that in 1982 to be 97.5% zinc and 2.5% copper. So both of these pennies look kind of the same, but it's actually the old one. This one that doesn't look as attractive, that's probably worth about three cents if you melted it down. And this one is probably worth about a third of a cent if you melted it down. So, so they, they look like kind of the same thing, but really they're quite different. And their inherent value is very, very different. Now, having said that, as most websites that tell you this will do, I need to make a disclaimer that I am not recommending or advocating that you melt down pennies because that's illegal and the government will be very unhappy with you. So, now I'm covered. Well, this text, a lot of revelation, but this text really wants the church at Thyatira to understand that while they are looking at two things that might look the same, in fact, they are fundamentally incredibly different and you must make a choice between the two. You must. This letter begins in verses 18 and 19 with giving us this picture of Jesus coming as a judge. Jesus comes as this overwhelming, powerful figure of judgment to the church in Thyatira. Now, Thyatira, among the seven churches that these letters are written to in Revelation 2 and 3, was by far the least remarkable city. It was kind of just in an open valley. There wasn't much to recommend it geographically. It was kind of along a highway. It wasn't a huge city. But as time went by, it it became a military city. It was on the way to the capital of the province, so more and more Rome had a garrison there. And then as people traveled back and forth, it also became more and more a city of trade. It became a place where people would go to sell and to buy. And so what became a really tremendous force in that city was the trade guilds, kind of like our unions these days, these, these organizations of merchants who would buy and sell. And in particular, well, all the trade guilds had kind of a, a patron deity who would sort of oversee them and, and theoretically help them out. And in particular, the guild of Apollo was a really powerful force in this city. And And let's talk a little bit about the god Apollo. So Apollo is the sun god, the god who is supposed to ride the sun from from dawn to dusk, the one who goes through the heavens. And Apollo is the son of Zeus. He is the son of the most high god. And Apollo in Thyatira was the patron god of the emperor, of, of the forces of Rome. And what's more, Apollo was the patron god of a metal workers guild there in Thyatira that, that made a kind of bronze, and we think it's a kind of bronze that nobody else knew how to make. It was specific to that trade guild. So there's the god of Thyatira. And now if we look at Revelation 2.18, we see Jesus introducing himself in particular ways. Jesus introduces himself as the son of God. The son of God. And that's almost the only time that he speaks of himself, or Revelation speaks of himself as the Son of God. Other places in Scripture use that term more for Jesus, but it's almost unique here in terms of the book of Revelation. Apollo, the son of Zeus. Jesus, the son of the Most High God. 
And Jesus is described here with eyes like tongues of fire and and burning power. Apollo, the God of the sun. Jesus, who comes with eyes of burning power, able to see with incredible insight, and also able to strike with tremendous punishment. And Jesus comes with with feet in, in bronze of some sort, and we don't actually know what that mix was or what, what that word refers to exactly, because again, it was an alloy that was specific to Thyatira. But Apollo, the patron of this guild of trade with this specific metal, metal alloy, Jesus who comes clad in this tremendous alloy beyond what we really know. So Jesus here in Revelation is very intentionally situating himself to the church in Thyatira against the God of Apollo as the true Lord God. And if we read that description, we picture it, it should not be comforting to us. This is intended to be a frightening picture. The church who first heard this letter should have been a little scared. The people in the pew should have been squirming a little bit. What is going on with this figure? Why is Jesus coming to us like this? And what Jesus is doing at the beginning of this letter is setting up a contrast. And he is saying, everything else is junk compared to me. Look at who I am. Look at, who I come, look at how I come. And now think about what else you might worship. And look at the contrast between junky old Apollo and the true Son of God coming in power and judgment. And then in verse 19, Jesus says a few nice things about the church in Thyatira. And and some people think that means on the surface that church was doing well. The more common view is he's throwing out some compliments, but, but they're kind of perfunctory. They're kind of just, well, okay, you've got some things going on. But then Jesus continues to speak to the church there, and he condemns them. And the condemnation in the next few verses is that you are compromising. Jesus comes to the church in Thyatira and and then to some extent to the church in all ages and to us and says, you are compromising. You are compromising. You are mixing me with other gods and that is completely unacceptable. If we mix our faith in Jesus with our faith in any other thing, anything else that we make ultimate, well, then we have lost our faith in Jesus. And these verses have a Jezebel image in the background, and we could could go back to 2 Kings, and we could do a whole sermon series on Jezebel, but, but the key point here is that Jezebel was a foreign queen who married into God's people. She was the wife of King Ahab, and then she led God's people astray. She led them to, to not abandon the Lord God exactly, but, but to serve lots of other gods with the Lord God. And to develop lots of other rituals, and especially sexual religious rituals that that really pulled people more and more away from the true Lord God. Jezebel is bad news, bringing the wrong kind of action and the wrong kind of worship. Now, in this letter to the church in Thyatira, we we don't know that, that Jesus was speaking so much to one particular person named Jezebel. Maybe that was the case. But it seems like more likely he's referring to this practice that was common in that church there, a practice of compromise. And what seems to be in the background here was a particular sort of meal that was very, very common in the ancient world, very, very common in Thyatira, and that Christians were participating in. And the way this meal would go would be, well, you'd go to a pagan temple, 
and you'd bring some meat. And you'd, you'd sacrifice a little bit of meat on the altar. You'd take a small portion, you'd burn it to this God or that God. But then you'd give the rest of the meat to the kitchen temple. And the kitchen temple would cook it up along with some other offerings that other people brought. And then the temples would have these dining rooms where a lot of the action happened. And you'd recline at, well, the way they ate there, they didn't sit on chairs in front of tables. They more reclined on couches or almost reclined on tables. And, and you'd sort of eat off the table right there. So you'd gather around, and they'd have these usually square or rectangular areas, and you'd have this dining room, and after the meat was cooked, it'd be brought to you, and then you'd eat this meat that had been offered to the God, and then you'd have kind of this party, and there'd be entertainers, they'd come in, and male and female slaves, and, and a lot of alcohol, and then after a while, people would get pretty frisky. And often there was this expectation or this requirement of a ritual orgy. There'd be a lot of sex. And if you were going to be part of a trade guild, if you were going to belong to the economic and social fabric of Thyatira, well, the guild meetings went how I just described. So if you wanted to network, if you wanted to be on the in, if you wanted to have a chance at getting work, at getting jobs, you would have to participate in these meals with regularity. And you'd have to do the whole thing. You couldn't just do part of it. You couldn't come late and leave early. No, you had to be there for every single step along the way or you were out. And so Christians were facing this binary choice. Either, either I, I serve the Lord Jesus and reject these meals and I starve, or I'm unfaithful to the Lord Jesus and I enter into the cultural, social, religious fabric of this city. And it's zero or one, A or B, a binary choice. But then it seems like this Jezebel, this group came along and said, no, actually, you can have it all. You can have it all. Because you see those other gods, they aren't really real. So if you burn some meat to them and you're part of their temple stuff, well, it doesn't matter that much because they're not real gods. And you know what really matters is your spirit, not your body. So if you get involved in some stuff that's not so savory, well... You know, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is that you're spiritually committed to Jesus. So you can have it all. You can be faithful to Jesus, and you can go the way of Apollo and the trade guilds and all of that. And isn't it wonderful that we can find this compromise? And we read in the text how that does not go over well with Jesus. He talks about casting these people on a bed of suffering, and, and there's kind of a pun or a double meaning there that the word for bed literally means bed, but it also refers to the couches or the tables that people would, would eat on at these pagan feasts. And so Jesus is saying, you want to play around on those? All right. You want that? Then what I will do is I will take that and I will transform it into a bed of suffering for you. If you turn away from me, you will suffer the consequences. So what do we do with that today? What do we do with that today as we gather to worship the Lord here and now? And I think there's a lot of, a lot of particular things we could talk about with this. Are there, are there ways that your work or your career are leading you to, to practice things, to do things, to seek things that are opposed to the way of Jesus Christ? We could talk about that for quite a while. Or are there, well, are there things that you're invited to do with your body that lead you away from Jesus Christ? And we could talk about 
We could talk about pornography at the intersection of business and immorality and, and how that rips apart our social and personal fabric. Or we could talk about sexual activity outside of marriage and how that disintegrates us. We could talk about any or all of those things, but, but today I want to get at what I think is the root problem behind a lot of those problems. I want you to think today about your body. Let's think about our bodies. And let me ask you this question. Who does your body belong to? Who does your body belong to? In all kinds of ways, our culture will say, your body belongs to you. But if we belong to Jesus Christ, then that simply isn't true. If we belong to Jesus Christ, then our body belongs to the Lord, and then we are only, we are only authorized and empowered and right in using our bodies in ways that glorify the Lord. And if that is true, then the rituals of Thyatira are out of bounds at every single step, and many of the rituals of our culture are out of bounds at every single step. Whether we, whether we say the body doesn't matter and you can do anything with it that you want, or we say the body is the most important thing, and so you should, you should develop just the right kind of body and put all your effort into looking just this way. There are all kinds of messages in our culture that are just the same story as, as the Thyatira story. And Jesus comes to us and says, do not compromise. Do not compromise. And if you compromise, you will experience the consequences. If you go down that road, then you will experience what lies down that road. And it might be fun at first, but in the end, it will hurt. So Jesus delivers those words of condemnation to one group within the church at Thyatira, but then he goes on and he delivers different words to another group. And, and now he brings a commendation. That's the word a lot of people use for, for the good parts of these letters. And Jesus' commendation, his call, his command, his praise is this, just persevere. Just persevere. Just hold on to what you already have. And we think there's some background there that we wouldn't jump to at first, but, but this is somewhere in the 90s A.D., and you go about 40 years earlier to 50 A.D., and there's this first huge church council in Jerusalem. The church leaders gather because they have to wrestle through this hard question. There are lots of Gentiles coming into our faith. There are many outsiders who are, who are beginning to believe in Jesus Christ, and what requirements do we need to put on them as, as the church of Jesus Christ? Do we need to say, follow all the Jewish rituals? Follow the Old Testament laws literally. You must become ethnically, religiously, everything Jewish. That's one option. Another option would be to say, do whatever you like. Just so long as you've got Jesus in the mix, do whatever you like. And the first church council doesn't pick either of those options. Instead, it picks a middle route. And I'm, I'm summarizing here. There's a little more to it. But basically what they say is, follow Jesus don't do immoral things, and don't practice idolatry. Follow Jesus, don't do bad things, don't worship other gods. And if that sounds familiar to you, it should, because this letter to Thyatira is saying, this is what you've been given decades ago. This is what you should already be doing. Just, just follow the same thing, and just hold on. Just hold on. A tremendous part of the Christian life is just 
holding on. But then Jesus goes on and he talks about how how for those who hold on, there will be this tremendous reward. And, and so in the end, the last couple of verses of this text, Jesus comes not as an overwhelming judge now, but even more than that as a generous king. And these last few verses are really crazy. I invite you to go back and read through them again sometime and see what Jesus is actually promising here. Jesus is saying to those who overcome, I will give all kinds of authority Jesus seems to be saying that, and I say seems to be saying because to be honest with you, the promise there makes me a little uncomfortable. It's so huge, but but he seems to be saying, if you hold on to me, then you will rule over the nations. I will give you an iron scepter to break the nations apart. You will have the authority that I have, says Jesus. You will have the kind of authority that can break apart nations. And and what's oppressing you right now, all these other options, the trade guilds, the Roman Empire, the, the God Apollo, all of these things, you will have the authority. You will have an iron scepter, or another way to translate that is an iron club, to break those forces down. And then what's more, Jesus goes on and he says, and I will give you the morning star. And honestly, we have to ask, what in the world does that mean? Well, at the end of Revelation, Jesus says he himself is the morning star. And so what he is saying here to the church in Thyatira is, if you turn away from me, I will come to you as a judge with eyes of fire. But if you hold on to me and you persevere, well, I will invite you to join me, to join me in reigning over the earth. To borrow from Apollo, I will invite you to join me in riding the sun chariot from one end of the heavens to the other. I will invite you to be lifted up above all earthly powers and to be truly my people. That is what Jesus promises to those who stay faithful to him. And honestly, as I read through this again and again this week, I kind of wanted not to say all that because to me it sounds like too much. Is God really promising us that? And yet he is. God's promises are amazing. He comes to us with with condemnation if we turn away, but if we hold on to him, he gives us everything. Everything. So let let me draw a now and a forever point from this. The now point, if, if we return to thinking about our bodies... And many of us struggle with our bodies, right? They're not big enough or they're too big. We've had things done to us that, that we didn't want and didn't appreciate and that maybe have scarred us. We've done things with our bodies that we're ashamed of and not proud of. We have, we have served other masters besides the Lord. There is all this weight that not all of us, but many of us carry with our bodies. But think about what it really means if our bodies belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what that means. Think about that in terms of the Heidelberg Catechism, the first question and answer. What's our only comfort? What's our only comfort? That I am not my own, but belong body, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Right now, your body belongs to Jesus. And so only his opinion of your body matters, not yours, not our culture's, not anything else. 
And when Jesus looks at you, if you are in him, he does not see all the brokenness and all the history. What he sees is someone who he is making into his image. And so all of us, whatever frustrations we might have, whatever history might have, we can be glad of the bodies we have because they belong to our Lord Jesus Christ and he takes care of them and he is well pleased in us. That's the now point. But then there's the forever point. If we overcome, we get cosmic authority. We get, to, we get to dash the nations to pieces. We receive the authority and the presence of Jesus Christ. We reign with him. And so we will overcome. We will overcome our own troubles. We will overcome the troubles that inflict us. And what's more, we will see the day when the world will be made right. Ukraine is, is very much in our minds these days, and the injustice there, and the trouble there, and the wrongness there. And if we could, we would love to break the oppressor to pieces. Well, right now we can't. But the day will come when Jesus will draw us up into his work of breaking down the oppressor and bringing justice and peace. And so we can look forward to a day when God will make all things right. Back to the pennies. There are many things in life that look shiny and appealing, but in the end, they are pretty close to worthless. Jesus Christ and following him often is hard and challenging and looks, looks maybe like not the choice we would make, but in the, the end, the value of following Jesus is more than anything else. And now I have to go back and, and correct myself on these pennies because really the worth of these pennies is defined by the United States government. They are both worth one cent. And in the end, our worth is not defined by what we choose or what we do, but by the value the Lord places on us. And the value he places on us is almost infinite. We've talked about, we've talked about our bodies now it's time to talk about Christ's body. And Christ took on human nature. He became one of us so that he could lay down his body in death to give us life. We serve a Savior who came to us when we were broken, and he himself was broken on our behalf so that we could be healed. So as we partake of the supper today, we're invited to reflect on how Jesus' body Jesus' body was truly broken for us to be healed, body and soul, now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of Jesus. Father, we confess that often, though, we turn away to other things. We run after what we want. We, in our actions, worship other things besides you. Lord, we pray that you bring us away from all of that. Lord, help us to see Jesus. And help us to see Jesus as our King who we obey, as our Lord who loves us, as our Savior who makes us right. Lord, we pray that today you bless the hearing of your word and the celebration of your supper in our lives. Amen.